0: I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on this law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes, and I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open thou my eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah." All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Can I put you on the spot, Tracy, and ask that you would bless the sermon? Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. And thank you for being able to gather today and just look into your word and worship and uh Honor you and everything that you do, and everything that you do for each and every one of us, Lord. We love you so much, and we just want to be obedient to your word and uh, just uh, anoint uh, Chris's lips and uh, make it clear and concise so that we can further our walk with you by what we we learn today, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, continuing our year-long series in the Torah portions, finding good and bad situations, asking the question often, where's the good in that? We are in the Torah portion of Vayetze, which means he went out, and it's taken from Genesis chapter 28, going all the way to chapter 32. We're going to begin in chapter 28. And uh, so if I had to title this sermon, I would call it The Fugitive Who Had a Shotgun Wedding. The fugitive who had a shotgun wedding. So last week we kind of ended on a a cliffhanger uh, because we we know that Jacob is about to enter into some really bad situations. And we're going to ask ourselves, where's the good in that? So Jacob saved the family legacy by securing the birthright and the blessing. And saving the Genesis 3.15 prophecy, which promises of the coming of Redeemer, the Messiah himself. So we know the the big ordeal that Jacob had to go through. He had to, you know, uh, uh, disguise himself and pretend he was his brother Esau in order to get the blessing from his father Isaac. But uh, he was also legally fair and square, was able to secure the birthright from Esau when he sold uh, Esau the lentil stew in order to obtain that birthright. So um, Jacob was concerned about this kind of biting him in the rear because he was being dishonest and even though people say his name means deceiver or surplanter his name more actually accurately means heel catcher because he caught his brother's heel as they were coming out of the birth canal and i think he was protecting his head from getting kicked by esau on the way out so it was esau that basically said isn't that why his name is jacob because he deceived me these two times And, of course, Esau was being dishonest. He wasn't being deceived these two times. First time was fair and square. Second time, the blessing wasn't even his in the first place. His father had no right to give it to him because of the prophecy that was given to his mother, Rebekah, that the older would serve the younger. So here we have Jacob after securing the family legacy of the birthright and the blessing and securing the prophecy of of the coming Messiah from Genesis 3.15, we see that he is on the run for his life because Esau wants revenge. He even said that he couldn't wait until Isaac was dead so that he could kill his brother Jacob. That's how bad he wanted to kill him. And so Jacob's on the run. While he's on the run, um, he's never going to see his mother again. His mother had different plans. She thought, oh, you know, just give it a couple weeks, go to go to my go to your uncle Laban, my brother Laban, and just wait until Esau cools down. And when it's safe, I'll, I'll call for you and you can come back home. But that never happened. He never saw his mother alive again. Not only that, but when he left, he was dirt poor and homeless. He pretty much left with the, the shirt on his back so to speak now that's not really desirable bachelor material for a woman to say ooh I want some of that you know because there's no there's no security you know there's no he's not rich there's no money even though he has the birthright and the blessing he couldn't take any of that with him so he basically came with the clothes that were on his back now we'll begin in Genesis chapter 28 verse 10. We'll read verses 10 and 11. It says, Then Jacob left Beersheba, which Beersheba means well of seven, or well of oath, and went to Haran. He happened upon a certain place. Now, the way the Hebrew reads, the word certain is not there. It would be better to translate it, He happened upon the place. Now, which what place are we talking about? The place. Well, this is the place that's the famous place of Mount Moriah where Abraham almost sacrificed Isaac. That is the place. So it says Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and he happened upon a certain place and spent the night there. For the sun had set. So he took one of the stones, one of the stones from the place. So where did he get the stones? He got the stones from the altar. That his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac used to build the altar that Isaac himself was bound upon and almost slit from ear to ear so he took a stone from that place now I know that we have these songs these gospel songs and these hymns and these you know uh, children's stories about how uh, uh, Jacob used a pillow a, a stone for a pillow that's not what he used the stone for Who in their right mind would go, now that looks mighty comfortable. I think I'm going to put that as my pillow. Uh, No, That's, that's not what happened. If you understand Hebraic culture and understand the Hebrew, here it says, so he took one of the stones from that place and put it by his head, or put it at his head, which is a more accurate translation. He didn't use this stone as a pillow. He probably used his hands or the ground itself was much softer said he took one of the stones from that place and put it by his head and laid down in that place. Why did he put the stone at his head? It was a little bit of a shield, right? It was a little bit of a shield because there were wild animals in that place. Um, He didn't know if Esau was on his tail. He needed a place to hide. He needed some sort of shelter, didn't have time enough to buy a lean-to or to build a lean-to. So he just took that stone and put it at his head to protect himself From whatever was in that area that was unbeknownst to him so it was it was there for protection now there's a lot of legend that goes into this stone according to rabbinic tradition this stone is the foundation stone of the temple this stone was supposedly had a hole in it or an indentation in it because the Hebrew that talks about this stone implies it was indented or maybe even a hollow tube But according to rabbinic tradition, this is the foundation stone for the temple. Uh, This is the center, the navel, or the center of the world. So we're talking about this is where the temple mount is today. This is where the Ark of the Covenant ended up resting on. Now, it's interesting because after he slept there and he erected that stone, it said he poured oil on it. And so there was a little reservoir, a little indentation or hole where that oil went. So I think that's all kind of interesting things there. So, basically, worst, worst camping equipment ever. Worst camping equipment ever. All you got is a bunch of rocks to set up camp, right? Worst uh, camping equipment ever. So, where's the good in that? Where is the good in that? Seems like it's unfair. He's running for his life. He's a fugitive. He'll never see his mother again. He's dirt poor and homeless. Now, we know that God works all things out together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose we know that that God is on Jacob's side because from the very beginning he told Rebecca it's gonna be the older that's gonna serve the younger in other words the younger is gonna take charge he's gonna be the patriarch of the family so all this bad stuff seemed to be happening to him but it's a purpose it's making him stronger it's tempering him it's making him humble so we're gonna see the good in that as we read on from 12 to, um, to uh, 22 So he's there, he's got the stone by his head, he finally is exhausted enough that he falls asleep, and it says, he dreamed, and all of a sudden there was a stairway set up on the earth, and its top reached to the heavens. And behold, angels, which are God's messengers, that's what the word angel means, angels of God going up and down on it. Surprisingly, Adonai was standing on top of it, and he said, I am Adonai the god of your father abraham and the god of isaac the land on which you lie i will give it to you and to your seed your seed will be as the dust of the land now it's interesting we always see this they're going to be as numerous as the dust of the of the earth and as the stars of the sky so at any point in time in history israel is either dust or stars and right now they're dust they're being walked upon they're being trampled upon they're being attacked All throughout biblical history you see where they were being you know trampled on on and treated as as the dust of the earth as nothing but during David's reign and Solomon's reign they became like the stars of the heavens during Yeshua's time even though they were persecuted by the Roman government Yeshua brought them up to the point of being as stars and we know that when Yeshua returns Israel's gonna win they're gonna get the land back and they're gonna be as the stars of the heavens again so He says, I am Adonai, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your seed. And your seed will be as the dust of the land, and you will burst forth to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. In other words, they're just going to spread all over the map in all four directions. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So it's through the Jewish people that the earth is blessed. Most technology and most inventions come either out of Israel or come from Jewish people. A lot of the big-name scientists, Einstein, was Jewish. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed, and in your seed, behold, I am with you. So this is where things start turning around. I'm sure Jacob's feeling pretty down, pretty discouraged, pretty afraid, pretty lonely. After all, he's running for his life. And I mean, you're running from a master hunter. That's all Esau did. So if Esau really wanted to, he could probably pick up on Jacob's trail, could probably find him and ferret him out pretty easily. So he's running for his life, puts a stone by his head to protect him while he sleeps, or hopefully he could lie there and go unnoticed, right? So, you know, he's he, he'll never see his mother again, and he's dirt poor and just has the clothes on his back. And so this is where things start turning around because God visits him. God himself visits him in this dream. And he says, Behold, I am with you. And even if you're all by yourself, if God says, I'm with you, that's all you need. You and God make a majority. Even little scrawny, ruddy David. God was with him, and he was able to slay a giant. It doesn't matter how many guns are against you, how many horses or chariots or armies or tanks or weapons are are pointed against you. I mean, my goodness, look at Israel. All of the Arab nations have turned on Israel. All of them. They are literally outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, but they're never going to be defeated or outwitted because God is on their side. They don't even need the Iron Dome. God is their protection and will vindicate them. So he says the same with Jacob. He's like, look, you're on the run You're not as strong or as savvy of a hunter as your brother You don't know what the heck you're doing. You're running from your life But he says behold I am with you and I will watch over you I Will watch over you. I mean, yeah, we can say oh how comforting that is But the same thing has been promised to us and does that comfort us? No, because we can't see God Sometimes we can't feel God. Sometimes it feels like our prayers are hitting the ceiling and slapping us back in the face. We know we should be comforted, but the reality is we don't see it and we don't feel it. And we go so much on our feelings. But faith has nothing to do with feelings. We need to go by faith, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And here Jacob had to walk by faith. Either God is God, and he says he's going to do what he's going to do, or God's a liar, or it's all a farce, and he doesn't even exist. And this is just some kind of weird, wild, active figment of my imagination because I'm exhausted and tired and dehydrated. But he says, behold, God says, behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. That's a big deal. Doesn't seem like a big deal to us because we know that God is the creator of the world. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He's, the, he's the, the God of this world and in this universe. But back then, gods were territorial. So whatever country you were in, you were under the watch care or under the suspicion of whatever God ruled that area. And basically, God was telling Jacob, doesn't matter where you go. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm the God above all other gods. I don't care what country you're in. I don't care what false god you rules that country or leads that country or what spiritual entities in charge of that country it doesn't matter he says i will be with you and i will watch over you wherever you go there is no such thing as a boundary for me i'm the one who creates boundaries i created the boundaries for the for the seas so that it wouldn't go past a a certain point on the shore you know i created a boundary for the various stratospheres of heaven but he says i will watch over you wherever you go And he was going into direct enemy territory where Laban had household gods, all the different pantheon of gods that ruled that area. And even those are no match for God. And and God was not beyond, uh, Jacob was not beyond God's reach in that area. Wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. You're going into the unknown. And right now you don't think that you're ever going to come back. But I'm promising you right now, I will bring you back to this land. Because maybe when he left, he thought, you know, I'm surely, I'm never going to see my my father again. Surely I'll never be back back there because Esau's always going to be there and he's going to be waiting for me. But God said, I'm with you. I'll watch over you and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not forsake you until I have done what I have promised you. God said, I will be with you to the very end. I'm going to see you through this situation and see you through this trial, this predicament. I'm not going to leave you right in the middle of it. I just watched I just watched a beautiful documentary. So if you have access to Tubi on Roku or on the computer, check out Arthur Blessit, B-L-E-S-S-I-T, Arthur Blessit. He's this guy who the Lord told him in the 60s to build a 12-foot cross and to walk all around the world with it. And he did. He went through the, the war-torn um, um, Ireland during the, uh, the, the, um, uh, you know, the, the conflict that was going on there. He walked through the war zone in Lebanon and Beirut. I mean, he, it was just an awesome, awesome story. But one time he had to cross this place in Panama, which no man had ever been able to cross and survive. He had two guys that was going to be his guide and go through him with it. They, got, they chickened out right in the middle. They left him high and dry, and he's in the middle of the Panama jungle, and no man's ever gone through it. And he's like, okay, Lord, I mean, either you're going to get me through it or I'm going to die doing what you told me to do, but either way, I'm, I'm going. And he made it. He literally had to, to hang his cross on vines and climb up the vine and put that cross on another vine, climb up to be able to get over steep hills and ravines and all these places. But he made it through. And so this is, it's kind of like what God is saying to Jacob. He says, I will not forsake you till I have done what I have promised you. Arthur, bless it, made it back to the United States, safe and sound, to tell his story. So the Lord came through on that process. He's going to come through this promise for Jacob. Jacob woke up from his deep sleep and said, Undoubtedly, Adonai is in this place, and I was unaware. Why was he unaware? Because fear overpowered his heart and mind. God can be right there beside you right there in the room with you and you not see it you not feel it you not know about it Because you're so scared and your fear just overrides everything else And you think i'm all alone i'm vulnerable i'm out in the open i'm i'm you know ripe for attack So jacob woke up out of this dream and he said undoubtedly adonai is in this place and i was unaware so he, was afra- uh, so he was afraid and said, how fearsome this place is. So his fear shifted from the fear of Esau getting him to the fear, the reverential fear that God is present in this place. So much so, I stumbled upon the very doorway, the very gateway to heaven itself, and I, I was too dumb to see it. I was too fearful to recognize it. How fearsome is this place? This is none other than Bethel, the house of God. This must be the gate of heaven. Now, the gate of heaven, where was the false gate of heaven at? Can anybody tell me? The tower of Babel. Babel. Babel is the gateway of the gods. It was the false gateway to heaven. Here, Bethel was the legit gateway to heaven. Verse six. Uh, verse 18. Early in the morning, Jacob got up and took the stone which he had placed by his head, and he set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, though originally the the name of the city was Luz, which means almond tree. Then Jacob made a vow saying, now I know it says if, but if you were translating this, you could easily switch the word if to since. I don't think that Jacob was really saying, if God will be with me, God already said he'd be with him. I think he was saying, since God will be with me and watch over me on this way that I'm going and provide for me food to eat and clothes to wear, and I return in shalom and peace to my father's house, then Adonai will be my God. So this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone will become God's house. That's a prophetic statement because that's exactly where the temple mount is and where the first and second temple was built, and where the third temple was going to be built. So this stone, which I set up as a memorial stone, will become God's house, and of everything you provide me, I will definitely give a tenth of it to you. I'll give back a tithe. I'll give back a tenth to you. So, this is good. He had literally nothing to lose. He was so preoccupied with the bad that he was oblivious that he was that uh, that that God was near and was at work. So he soon realized that God approved of his actions that he had taken to preserve the family legacy in line and that God was on his side and, w- and had his back. And also that the covenant of Abraham and his father Isaac, that God had passed it down to him. So even though he did this stuff, maybe he was even still questioning, well, did I do the right thing in taking that blessing? fooling my father and taking that blessing. He may have even been doubting that. And here, when God visited him in the dream, he confirmed, you did the right thing. You did what you were supposed to do. You did what you had to do. And he's like, I'm with you. Just as I was with with, uh, your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac, I'm going to be with you. So, as a result, he swore allegiance to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, as we just read. Now, let's move on to chapter 29. And start with verse 21. 29, 21. So then Jacob said to Laban, so we're fast forwarding here because we don't have the time to go through every single bit. But we know that he had agreed to work for Laban seven years in order to get Rachel because he was just totally in love and smitten with Rachel. Didn't care much for the older sister. She was really nothing to look at according to him. But we see that Laban did a bait and switch. So it says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are complete, so that I may go to her. So Laban gathered all the men of the place, and he prepared a feast. When it was evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and he went to her. And Laban also gave her Zilpah, his female servant, to his uh, daughter Leah as a female servant. So when it was morning, Behold, there she was. It was Leah. So he said to Laban, "What is this that you've done to me? Wasn't it for Rachel that I worked for you? So why have you deceived me? Why have you deceived me?" But Laban said, "It's not done so in our place to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the bridal week for this one, then we'll also give you, uh, give to you the other." For Work that you will do for me another seven years more Wow, what a dirty rotten stinking scoundrel. I Mean Jacob was uh, I mean he was totally bamboozled So Laban did the bait-and-switch with a bride and he ended up working 14 years altogether to get the wife He really wanted Jacob was cheated bamboozled extorted and exploited So where's the good in that? How is that fair? Well, God knows all, right? He has a plan. He works all things out together for our good. God used this injustice because Laban thought he was getting the better end of the deal. Right? He's getting free work, you know, pretty much free work out of of Jacob, his son-in-law. Now, when he came to Laban, Laban was almost as poor as Jacob was. Because who was tending Laban's sheep at that time? Rachel. His daughter. He didn't have any sons at that point. He just had Rachel and Leah, and Rachel was guarding the few little sheep he had. He just only had a handful of sheep at that time, and Jacob worked for him seven years, and he took over the sheep tending business, and those sheep multiplied to where he probably had hundreds if not thousands So in other words, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching with each new lamb, each new sheep that was born, cha-ching, that's more money in Laban's pocket that Jacob didn't see any of because Jacob was hoping to get Rachel. Now you're saying, okay, how could Jacob be so dumb to fall for that? I mean, couldn't he tell? Number one, it was dark. Number two, she had a veil. Number three, they were twins, even though Leah, I believe, was albino. That's why it said she was tender-eyed. Because albinos have tender eyes. Laban, his name means white. So Laban, I believe, was albino and passed that those genes on to his daughter Leah. And that's why she wasn't as desirable, so to speak, as Rachel was, but they were supposedly twins. Not only that, he ended up giving Zilpa as the handmaid, which was originally supposed to be Rachel's. So everything looked like this was Rachel. And probably because they were twins, they may even sounded alike. They may have been identical twins rather than fraternal like Jacob and Esau were. So all these things, not only that, I'm sure that the wine was flowing. So the people were probably a little bit inebriated and tipsy. And you know that your senses are dulled when you're a little bit drunk. So all those things played a part. Now the rabbis say that because Rachel and Jacob kind of suspected that Laban was going to do something like this, They had a password, a safe word between each other to know that it was really them if something like this happened. But Rachel felt so sorry for Leah because she was forced into this. This wasn't her choice. It's not what she wanted to do. And she didn't want her sister to be embarrassed and shamed, so she gave Leah the password. Now, that's all rabbinic, but I think that's a good explanation as well if that rabbinic legend is true. So God used the injustice to build up the 12 tribes of Israel and thus fulfill the covenant God made with Abraham of having countless descendants. With fertility issues, one bride could never have pulled this off, not even two. And that's why the two handmaids were employed to help. Now, I just heard this just this week. I think we can make some correlations between Leah and the Messiah. Because out of Rachel and Leah, who was, quote unquote, hated? Leah was hated. She wasn't the favorite one. She wasn't the desired one. She's the one that Jacob got stuck with because, you know, Laban pulled the wool over his eyes. So the prophecy talks about Yeshua, that he would be hated by his very own. Now, Leah says that she was tender eyed. Another translation says she was plain. She was a plain Jane. She was nothing really to look at. And the prophecy in Isaiah says that there was no comeliness that we would be attracted to him. So Jesus, Yeshua, was a plain Jane, if you will. Nothing special about him that would make you say, oh, he's the king of Israel. Oh, he's the Messiah. So it's interesting that you can see some parallels between Leah and uh, Yeshua. So when I heard that, I was like, ooh, i got to share that. So let's go to Genesis chapter 30 now. So even though these are difficult stories to tackle, because when we're reading it from our carnal human perspective, we think, well, this is just dirty. This is just low down and cheap. Like, why would God allow this to happen? Why? Why did Laban get away with this? We know that when evil does evil, that ultimately evil in the end will not get away with it. They may not get justice on this side of heaven and in this world, in this life. That's okay. Eternal justice is coming. And that's going to be all the justice that we need and require. Because whatever injustice is done here, what, 80 years at best, 100 years at best? Who cares? That's nothing in in the light of eternity. So here in Genesis chapter 30, beginning with verse 25. So it says, now it was after Rachel had given birth to Joseph. So basically, pretty much all the tribes except Benjamin was born at this time. And another thing, Leah is the one who pumped out more children than the rest of them she even pumped out judah which eventually led to king david which eventually led to the messiah and she pumped out levi which is the priesthood so you know it's i thought that was kind of interesting too so it says now it was after rachel had given birth to joseph That Jacob said to Laban, send me away so that I can go to my place and to my land. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you. And now let me go for you yourself. Know my labor that I've served you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, I've looked for good omens and Adonai has blessed me because of you. Laban, (laughs) Laban knows that Jacob is his cash cow. If it wasn't for Jacob, he would uh, he would have never had the flocks and herds that he ended up having, because it was Jacob's smarts in regards to, you know, uh, uh, breeding sheep. Now it's kind of like, kind of like Elvis Presley. He he died a pretty sad death. He was addicted to painkillers, and he was pretty much bankrupt there at the end. Who got all his money? Who, what was his manager's name? Colonel so-and-so or whatever? He pretty much ripped Elvis off. Elvis was his cash cow. So kind of in the same way, Jacob was Laban's Elvis. And he's going to milk him for all he was worth. So Laban knows that Jacob <laughs> is his cash cow and tries to make him stay on as his head shepherd. Uh, okay, where did I leave off here? All right. Verse 31. Then he said, "What can I uh wait. All right. So let's Okay, back to 25 of uh, 27. Verse let's go to 27. But Laban said to him, "I found favor if I found favor in your eyes, I've looked for good omens, and Adonai has blessed me because of you. Moreover, he said, "Name your own price and I will pay it. So Laban's getting pretty desperate. He's like, whatever you want, whatever will make you stay, you name it, I'll do it. So verse 29, then he said to him, you yourself know I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me. You had very little before I came. (laughs) So much few, in fact, you had your daughter tend these sheep, right? That's how small it was. You know, even your little girl could do it. Verse 30, for you had little before I came and it is and it has been busting at the seams in abundance so adonai blessed you with with my every step so now when i when am i myself going to make something for my household also he says okay i've worked long enough for you it's time that i make something for myself then he said what can i pay you and jacob said you don't need to pay me anything Laban is like, hey, hey, I like the sound of that. (laughs) You're a pretty good uh, negotiator. I like those terms. You don't need to give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will shepherd your flock again and watch over it. Let me pass through your flock today and remove every colorfully spotted lamb from there and every dark colored lamb among the sheep, as well as the colorful spotted among the goats. And that will be my salary. Laban's thinking, what an idiot. What an idiot. So, tomorrow, my honesty will testify on my behalf when you come to check on my salary that you agree to. Everyone that isn't colorful, spotted among the goats, or dark colored among the sheep with me, consider it stolen. So, now, why do you think that he got all, uh, that Jacob got all of the uh, multicolored and striped and speckled and spotted animals? Because Jacob probably felt like the black sheep of the family, in a sense. And Laban, his name means white, so Mr. White gets all the white sheep. So See how easy it would be to tell them apart? Okay, Laban, since your name means white, you get all the white animals. I'll get all the animals that are not white. Right? So he's just thinking to himself, okay, the the white sheep are the more common. They're going to breed harder, faster, longer. I'm going to increase, and he's just going to have these... Tiddly rejects so laban's thinking this guy's an idiot he may know how to breed and grow the flock like he did for me but he doesn't know anything about genetics you know so he's thinking he's getting the better end of the deal so he's agreeing to it uh where did i leave off here okay uh verse 34 so laban said all right may it be according to your word so here jacob outwits laban now, like I said, Laban means white, so Mr. White gets all of the white sheep and goats, and Jacob is the black sheep. He gets all the oddballs and has a master plan to build up his own flock, thus outwitting Laban at his own game. So now let's go to verse 37. So it says, But Jacob took fresh white poplar, almond, and plane tree branches, peeling away the white strip sections on them, exposing the white of the branches. Then he set the branches that were peeled in front of the flocks in drinking in the drinking troughs and watering channels where the flocks had come to drink. Since they were in heat, when they came to drink, the flocks mated near the branches. And um, the flocks gave birth to striped, spotted, and colorful ones. Now, how do you explain this? I mean, there's really no science behind that. Well, later he tells Rachel and Leah that God showed him this in a dream. That the lord inspired him to do this through a dream now it may be the power of suggestion you know like if i come up to you and maybe maybe i got everybody to conspire against donnie let's say i said okay guys you know every one of you at some point today come up and ask donnie how he's feeling and comment how he doesn't look so good so it's the power of suggestion and donnie's like well man i'm feeling fine and maybe by the third or fourth person he might be thinking well man maybe i'm not fine Maybe maybe I do feel, yeah, matter of fact, I feel a headache coming on. Yeah, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit stuffy-nosed. And by the power of suggestion, we made him sick by commenting, are you feeling all right today? You don't look so good. So I don't know, maybe it was the power of suggestion with these sheep when they seen this. You know, it's like when I say, don't think of a pink elephant. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to think of a pink elephant. So what was in front of their faces when they were mating was these peeled branches, which were spotted and striped and speckled just like they were the lord somehow used that to produce more of the same so it says now jacob separated um verse 40 now jacob separated the lambs and set the face of the flocks toward the striped ones as well as the dark ones among laban's flock so do you realize that what is happening is that jacob is actually getting spotted and striped sheep from the white ones did you did you did you catch that? That might have been hard to catch because what happened to Jacob's flock? All the spotted, striped, speckled, they were three days' journey away. Because Laban said, "I want to hire you to watch after my sheep, not your sheep. Oh, I'll pay you these spotted and striped and speckled yada 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 yada, but you tend my sheep." Now, you know that Laban and his sons weren't going to do anything special to those of Jacob's sheep so that they would mate and multiply. That'd be more money for Jacob. They were just going to make sure that they were fed and didn't die. But Jacob said, I'm going to do everything that I can do to keep, you know, to to bless you and to keep you in business. But what he did is these white sheep and goats ended up miraculously giving birth to striped, spotted, and speckled animals, which that's just like... That's just like a a white couple producing a black baby. Scientifically, that's impossible unless there's some recessive genes involved, of course, but you have to have melanin before you can have a lack of it. So like I said in the beginning, God created everybody black in the beginning, Adam, Eve, all the way up to Noah. Noah was the exception. He was born albino, which caused the genetics to take place to where Ham can be black, Shem could be brown, and Japheth could be white. And that's what gave rise to all the color spectrum in the human race so what was happening was genetically impossible but it was a miracle and god showed jacob how to do it and so jacob got speckled spotted sheep and goats from laban's white sheep and goats so he was making more money for himself and laban was just kind of he broke even on this deal and laban's the one who thought man he's an idiot So he got outsmarted and outwitted, and it was not just totally Jacob. God gave him the dream and the encouragement and the inspiration to do this. So he says in verse 41, whenever the strong flocks mated, Jacob would put the branches in the watering troughs before the eyes of the flock to have them mate near the branches. But when the flocks were sickly, he did not put the branches down. So the sickly ones became Laban's, and the stronger ones became Jacob's. And the man grew exceedingly prosperous and had numerous flocks along with the female, male servants, camels, and donkeys. So it's the principle of if you get lemons, what do you do? You make lemonade. You do the best with what you have. You work with what you've got. You MacGyver it if you have to. So Laban gets jealous and tries to, chat, uh, tries to cheat Jacob because we learn later that he changed his wages ten times. But according to the rabbis, the Hebrew implies 10 times 10. so there's some rabbis who believe that laban changed the wages a hundred times so whether it was 10 or 100 regardless it was unjust for what laban did but god always caused jacob to come out on top always and we see that in chapter 31 now jacob heard the words of laban's sons now laban's sons were born after rachel and leah because it was rachel who originally had the flocks right But now he had sons born since Jacob's been with him, these like, you know, seven past years or what have you. And so they've been taken care. It says, Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything that belongs to our father. And from what belongs to our father, he has made himself rich. Then Jacob saw Laban's face and noticed that his expression wasn't the same as it was just a day or two before. Then Adonai said to Jacob, return to your land and to your father's. So we're talking 14 years later. And to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called for Rachel and Leah to come to the field and to his flocks. And he said to them, I can see by your father's face that his expression isn't the same as it was just a day or two ago. But the God of my fathers has been with me. Now you yourselves know that I've served your father with all my strength. So, you know, even though you may hate a guy or hate your employer, sometimes you'll cheat your employer by not working as hard because he's a jerk. But it wasn't so with Jacob. He's like, even though Laban's an idiot, even though Laban's a jerk, I'm going to do my best because ultimately I'm working for the Lord. He says, my integrity is more important than, you know, me thinking that Laban's doing me dirty. Now you yourselves know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has fooled me, or fooled around with me and has changed my salary ten times, but God hasn't allowed him to harm me. If he would say the spotted ones will be your salary then all the flocks would give birth to spotted ones or if he would say the striped ones will be your salary then all the flocks would give birth to striped ones so god has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me now it happened that when the flocks were in heat that i lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream behold the males going upon the flocks were striped spotted and speckled so again this was an inspiration of a dream that the lord showed him how to outwit His father-in-law his dirty rotten scoundrel pagan father-in-law Laban so it seems like every time Jacob turned around something bad was happening in his life he was getting picked on he was getting chased around he was getting cheated he was getting fooled he was being taken advantage of his whole life but yet what was God doing with all these bad unfair circumstances he was causing jacob to prosper he was teaching jacob i'm god i'm in control doesn't matter who does what to you i'm going to make you come out on top you may be the underdog but you're going to be the top dog soon enough you just watch and see you just trust me you just hang back and you let me do my work so jacob's life epitomizes romans 8:28, for all things work together for good all things having to run for my life because my brother wants to kill me all things because i get to my my uncle laban and he does a bait and switch and he gives me leah instead of rachel and i worked for rachel seven years now i got to work another seven years just to get her and she was mine in the first place but he gave me Leah, all things it says later on that he, he you know was exhausted by heat almost got heat stroke he almost froze to death at night taking care of laban sheep all things he gets cheated and salary gets changed 10 times but each time laban changes the salary god puts it in jacob's favor and he gets whatever laban says is his all things work together for good he said that you're going to become a multitude of nations you're going to have many children as, as much as the stars in the heavens and yeah it was a pain in the butt to have four wives especially two rival sisters that are always fighting with each other and having a baby making contest and all the drama involved in that but God brought forth the 12 tribes of Israel through that negative, bad, cheated, extorted, taken advantage of situation. So it doesn't matter what happens to us in life. We've got a God who's on the throne. We've got a God who's in control. We have a God that's going to bring, uh, cause us to come out on top in one form or another. And whatever bad things happen to us and we do get the short end of the stick, it may be a good thing anyway. It's kind of like, well, gee, thanks, God. I prayed that you would help me to win the lottery and that didn't happen. Well, it's probably the best thing he didn't give you that, that winnings. Because then you have all these relatives come out of the woodwork. Hey, I'm your uh, 20th cousin, fourth removed from your mother, father's aunt's side. <laughs> right? Give me what's, give me a piece of your pie. Right? And then you, you got all these friends. Oh, oh, you remember? I, I'm your friend. No, you beat the crap out of me in high school. No, no, no. I'm your friend. Right? So, I mean, a lot of bad things happen when you get lottery money. You have to pay taxes on it anyway, so you don't get as much as you, quote-unquote, win, right? So maybe, I, no matter what happens to you, God will cause you to come out on top in some way, form, or another, or he's going to teach you something to make you stronger, and whatever never, negative things happen to you, you can use those situations in your life to help somebody else going through the exact same thing or something similar. So Jacob's life epitomized Romans eight twenty eight: For all things work together for good, for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So all dupes, mistakes, and setbacks are some way, somehow, for our good. So we have to find the good in bad situations because it's there. Because God promised it would be, he said it would be, and he shows that it is. So that's how we find the good in bad situations. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this nail-biting story that we read. I mean, we didn't go into all the details because it's quite a long tour portion and a lot more things we could have unpacked and uncovered. But Lord, what we what we saw was just, man, how could one guy go through this? It'd make me pull my beard out. But Lord, you promised at the beginning of his journey that you would be with him. And I think you were setting him up and saying, look, you're going to go through some hard times really hard times but remember my words right now i will be with you doesn't matter where you go i'm going to be with you boundaries are no problem for me i'm going to bring you back to this place i'm going to make your descendants numerous and all these promises he fulfilled it was hard and tough as nails to get there but god did it and even though the cards were stacked against him he was he was between a rock and a hard place and painted it in a corner doesn't matter lord you you glorified yourself through jacob's situation through jacob being outwitted jacob being cheated jacob being extorted and taken advantage of you brought glory to your name and you fulfilled all the promises that laban and his sons thought he was going to take away from jacob you are a good and awesome god and you do the same thing in our life if we'll just but let you be god if we'll just for for a moment, quit whining and belly aching and being a negative Nelly and, and looking you know, looking at the situation in a bad way. But if we'll remember, if we seek first Matthew six thirty-three, if we but seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all the things we stand in need of will be provided for us. And that Romans eight twenty eight, you work all things out together for good. Help us to remember those and latch on to those as we plug away through the trouble, trials, and tribulations in this life. And look at the troubles and trials and situations not only in a way that you're gonna cause us to come out on top but as a workout <clears throat> no pain no gain that Lord whatever we go through you're gonna make us stronger as a result of it I mean our sicknesses our diseases our aches and pains our our, our you know bills tragedies unexpected things coming in our life you're gonna work them out to the good just give us the ability and enable us to trust you and to believe you and to have faith instead of fear and Lord we love you and we praise you and we ask these things in Yeshua's name Amen, Amen. but the word of the Lord endureth forever for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and of the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth she is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is everyone that retaineth her